Election College Episode 47, The Strange Legacy of President Warren G. Harding. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. So, what do you do when you're a popular president? You kind of hang in there and try to live, right? Yeah, I mean, most of the time you want to stick around, maybe get another uh, another term under your belt. Yeah, and such was the case with our friend Warren G. Harding. I mean, he's a pretty popular guy. Things are moving right along. He's actually fairly well liked. Uh, this is the first president for a while that is kind of universally, well, I guess universally isn't the right word, but pretty well liked all around the board. Yeah, you had a little bit of, I don't know if confusion is the right word, but you had a situation where in Wilson, you had a guy who was keeping you out of the war and he was elected on that pretense. And then you go to war (laughs) (laughs) and Harding was all about returning our country to normalcy. And it seemed like that was happening. Yeah. And if you remember about Harding, he was so obsessed with the normal. I don't, I don't know if obsessed is a good word, but that's the word I used. He is so obsessed with the normal that he doesn't even want to, to make a big deal out of the fact that there's a new president in town. Um, he wants a low key inauguration. He doesn't really want the parade, the, that whole thing. He doesn't go out on the balcony like we see today. And part of that's because he's an introvert, but also he just doesn't, he, he's not into all the, the parades and pomp and circumstance. Yeah. And his inaugural speech, he even said, quote, our most dangerous tendency is to expect too much from the government and at the same time do too little for it. And there were some people, uh, like, uh, there was a literary critic named HL Minchin. He said that, uh, he Harding writes the worst English I have ever encountered. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of a string of wet sponges. It reminds me of tattered washing on the line. It reminds me of stale bean soup, of college yells, of barking dog, idios- idiotically through endless nights. So, uh, he's a pretty plain guy. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. We made a joke of this before, but uh, as soon as Harding gets in office, he's like, well, I'm going to go on vacation. Yeah, and he had health issues throughout his life, which, I mean, who didn't, right? Wilson had his share uh, of issues, (laughs) and uh, Harding did as well, but he um, just kind of kept it low-key and relaxed, and um, everybody liked that. Absolutely. He got back to the White House after vacation, and uh, he decides, well, all right, I guess I should make up my cabinet now, and gets a, a... good group going together and they kind of just start doing stuff, moving and shaking. Yeah. And so you start to see a lot of familiar names popping up. You've got, um, Herbert Hoover, um, was a cabinet member and he was all about 
returning the world to normalcy. You have the appointment of the former president, uh, William Howard Taft, as the chief justice of, of the Supreme Court, which, of course, we mentioned before, Taft always wanted to be chief justice. So he got his wish and things are cruising along. I just want to take a minute to point out the fact that we're talking about a former president being in an office. And this has happened before in history, but it doesn't happen so much now and even in our lifetimes, Jason. And it's just kind of an interesting thought to say that, okay, well, yes, you were president, but that doesn't mean your public service is over if you still have a heart for public service. And I'm not saying that that's the case now, that people just kind of, eh, I'm done with it. But I just find it really interesting that people would go on to serve after achieving like like it's almost like if uh, you win the Super Bowl and you, let's say you can't win the Super Bowl again. You're just like, well, I guess I'm done uh, instead of just continuing to play the game. Yeah. And what's really fascinating about Taft is all the while he was president. I mean, he's got that in the back of his mind. I really don't want to be president. I want to be on the Supreme Court. And why he or how he didn't get there sooner um, really was his decision. But I like to think that that was probably his greatest legacy because as president, he did okay, but he really, he really shined uh, in the judicial branch, which was his desire all along. Well, Harding uh, knew that after the war, there needed to be some kind of permanent setup for veterans who had served. And uh, there had been some attempts previously, but up until this point, there was nothing official and permanent. So he established the Bureau of Veterans Affairs. We know it as the Department of Veterans Affairs now. Um, but this is kind of a huge movement because think about all these guys coming back. And at the time, they called them shell-shocked. And there's just no place for them. And we even see that as a huge issue now. Um, knowing it is a different name, of course, but we even see that as a huge issue now. But this kind of progression towards, again, normalcy, um, getting the veterans back into the regular flow of things um, was really started in a, in a formal sense by Harding. Yeah, and he was all about making peace arrangements uh, with countries like Germany and Austria and really fortifying um, the economy and getting uh, big business in check and all, all of that. And he was also uh, for certain civil rights measures, including, and this seems kind of ridiculous now to say it's just a civil right issue, but uh, measures to end lynching. Um, but he actually made a lot of enemies um, with members of his own party and not to mention the Democrats uh, with, with some of his civil policies, but um, it's kind of interesting too with the state of our government at this time, Congress was fairly weak and didn't really have a desire uh, to move and shake things. And neither did Harding. So we, we mentioned before Jason that Harding was a, uh, was a newspaper guy. He owned some newspapers and stuff like that. Well, he kind of got along really well with the press and that also helped his popularity quite a way. So he kind of knew how to do things and he had some affiliation with the industry already. 
And so the the reporters just eat up everything he says. They like the fact that he just kind of says what he thinks and says what he needs to say. Uh, he doesn't have any hesitation about showing them behind the scenes. Um, and and he also starts this thing that we see now somewhat, and sometimes they get out of hand, but where they took questions from reporters during a press conference. And that kind of, we, we keep talking about new waves with, reporters and press conferences and this is another new wave yeah and harding really had this air of being um, a, a strong leader as you remember wilson was quite frail at the end of his term and the press really ate it up that harding was this strong man who had this you know white hair and just looked very presidential to them so he was he was kind of a darling of the press. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so Harding, we start to see some some negative things. They're not really negative at the time, but looking back, we kind of see some trouble with them. He he does want to have a good cabinet. He wants to have the best minds in the world working for him, but he also has a little bit of a tendency to put people who were active in his campaign, who really contributed to what he was doing, uh, putting them in, in kind of high positions. And this eventually may or may not come to haunt him. Yeah, it really was the starting of the modern era of kickbacks. <laughs> and if you contributed to his campaign, he was going to reward you with, high positions. So uh, at the time, it didn't seem like such a big deal and life went on. So Harding presided over our country's consecration of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And he really had good relations with the allies, with Britain and France, uh, honoring those veterans of uh, that great war that had just ended. Um, he really came out against the Soviet Union. He was so confident in his abilities that he actually uh, released his uh, political opponent uh, from the election. If you remember, the socialist leader, Eugene Debs, actually released Debs from prison, um, all because he had this confident air about him. But getting the country out of the fray of not normal. <laughs> so it was all seen as, Hey, we're all getting along now. Uh, we are Americans. We're unified and, and it's all good. So Jason, um, we keep talking about Harding's health problems and anybody who doesn't know already can probably surmise from the fact that we're going on so long and the new episode about Harding that, um, he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it out of this term alive. Yeah, so um, Harding, being the popular president that he is and seeking to reconcile the country, um, to heal from the wounds of, of getting out of this war and so on, he sets out on a westward journey, and it's he calls it the voyage of understanding, and he plans on renewing his connection with the people, um, not just seen as an ivory tower Washington type, but he wants to get out there and explain his policies and try to be reelected in 1924. 
yeah, that's really what it, I guess it kind of comes down to. I'm sure he had some good intentions as well, but and I guess being reelected is not a bad intention. But anyway, he actually uh, really wanted to get all the way around the country. He wanted to go up to the Alaska Territory. He had a lot of a lot of things planned, but he also asked his politi- political advisors, "Hey, um, if you could if you could cut back my schedule a little bit, I'm a little tired. I know I'm going to be exhausted. Uh, if you could cut it back a little bit, that'd be great." And they just didn't. It turns out that the president had coronary disease and he was starting to not look so strong. Uh, he couldn't get through um, nine holes of golf even. And some of his advisors were like, hey, well, getting away from Washington, you're, you're fine, dude. <laughs> just just suck it up. Do your thing. Give your speeches. And... They get to California. Yeah, they they get over to California, and um, they're in San Francisco. Harding uh, actually goes to bed early. Uh, he asks for his physician to come in and talks about how he has some pain in his upper abdomen. And his doctor says, you know, it's just dietary probably. Maybe it's some gas or could be another doctor said maybe it's a heart problem. Um, so they took him to the to the hospital. The train took him there. He feels better. And everybody's just like, oh, okay, that, that's cool. And then he decides to walk from the train to the vehicle that was going to take him uh, further along. And he has a relapse. And they figure out, okay, he not only has a heart problem, he's also got pneumonia. And they don't know this yet. But if we only had some antibiotics, we'd be able to treat him. So they give him caffeine. And they give him digitalis. And Harding kind of bounces back. He's back to being his old self, a little sickly still, but not suffering from debilitating pain anymore. Yeah. So on a Thursday, he looks like he's doing good. He goes to dinner and in the evening he shudders and boom, dies. Suddenly he was in the middle of a conversation with his wife uh, in the hotel's presidential suite and at 7.35 p.m. on August the 2nd, 1923, Harding dies. And there was a lot of fuzziness going on as far as, well, what caused the death? You know, was it a stroke? Was it um, a result of the medication or his, uh, his um, schedule that he was keeping? You know, what happened? And actually, Mrs. Harding even refused to allow an autopsy. Um, it turns out that Harding had really shown physical signs of having cardiac insufficiency um, with congestive heart failure in the preceding weeks. So uh, they should have known. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and some people say he had, um, like Jason just said, problems with his heart. Uh, people said he had congestive heart failure. Others have cited that maybe, uh, or they think for sure it was a cerebral hemorrhage, which can also be linked to heart issues. So we're not really sure, but what we do know is that it was a natural death. It's um, there haven't been many before who have uh, not been assassinated or some in some other way met their demise poorly. Um, but this is uh, a really sad case for the country, simply because he's so popular. Uh, everybody at this point still loves him, um, but he he just. Uh, He's gone now. Harding, this very popular president, dies, and 
his funeral train takes his body from California all the way across to Washington, across the country to Washington. And people were lining the tracks of this funeral train in cities and towns all across the country to pay their respects. Uh, the, the casket was placed in the East Room of the White House um, so they could get ready for uh, an official state funeral. And uh, the his death was just mourned. And people felt really a personal loss. And... Um, Everything seemed like, wow, what a, what a great president, what a great legacy. And he's gone. Yeah. And Jason, you just really hit on what we're going to talk about next. He seems like a great guy. He seemed like a great president, but all of a sudden, well, not, not even all of a sudden over the years since some different scandals have started coming out and they've started making their way into the public eye and some of them have been tried to be covered up and not been successful at doing that. And so we um, we kind of see a, a popular president turning into a kind of a maligned president. Yeah. And just to pause for a moment and remember, Lincoln, not especially popular. It was thought that he wouldn't even receive the presidential nomination uh, on the Republican ticket for his second term. And he ends up getting the nomination, ends up winning the presidency, still isn't so popular. He dies and to this day is revered as, wow, what a great president. Harding, on the other hand, wow, what a great president. He dies. And then within a few months, speculation starts had he been poisoned did he commit suicide what was going on in the white house during the harding administration so popular dies scandal and one of those scandals is the the veterans bureau scandal i mentioned earlier the establishment of it uh, there are a lot of crazy things that happened with the Veterans Bureau scandal, <laughs> but the the basic gist of it is there were a lot of people who were very, very close to the president who later claimed the president had nothing to do with it. He was unaware, probably, but maybe partially aware, but not condoning the things that happened around the, the Veterans Bureau being established. And so one of the guys involved the president actually said, um, get him out of Washington when he found out about some things. Obviously, the full thing hadn't come to light, but get him out of Washington, take him off the trip to Alaska. We're not taking him with us. And then he kills himself. The The guy, his last name is Smith, kills himself. Um, so he's involved in a lot of illicit activities, and that just starts to, especially after um, Harding's death, starts to draw a lot more attention to that aspect of possible scandals happening. Yeah, uh, on on the personal front, what appeared to be a really solid marriage, it turns out that he was having all kinds of extramarital affairs. Um, he was having uh, one night stands and long term affairs and all kinds of illicit action going on uh, with the former president. And uh, one of the most 
I don't know. I remember this from history class. One of the most notable uh, scandals was the Teapot Dome scandal, um, which didn't come to light until after he was dead. Um, that affair was concerning an oil reserve in Wyoming that was covered by a teapot-shaped rock formation. And for years, the country had taken measures to ensure that these petroleum reserves were available, especially for the Navy. And so Harding um, created this um, reserve for the Navy and it was intended to keep the oil under government jurisdiction rather than being subject to private claims. But the management of the reserves was up in the air. It was really a turf war between the secretary of the Navy and the interior department. And you have issues that even come up today with the issue of, well, is it national security or do we protect the environment? Uh, what do we do? And there was all kinds that we can, we could go way into this, Ben, but there was a lot of backdoor action going on here with who are we going to award contracts to? And um, anytime you get money involved, usually money plus government, it can't be a good thing. So uh, interesting topic that did not arise into the public consciousness until after his death. And it was a huge deal. Right. And there are speculation, not only about the teapot dome, but also about the extramarital um, issues that you mentioned earlier, Jason, there are some speculation. Uh, well, it's known that Mrs. Harding after right as soon as the president died, ran back to Washington as fast as she could and burned as much correspondence and documents, uh, official and unofficial that she could possibly find, uh, of the president Harding's. So a lot of the things that probably would have come to light sooner had they been discovered by other people didn't come to light until years later. And the fact that she burned personal documents as well as, official documents seems to state that not only was there probably some stuff going on that was underhanded, but some stuff that was directly related to the rest of the government was happening as well. That was not above board strictly. So should we talk about Coolidge a little bit? Yeah, I suppose so. So you've got Harding, the presidency. So let's back up just a little bit. So it's pretty low key, right? I mean, there's a lot going on behind <laughs> the scenes, but, yeah. but really in the public eye, the, the presidency was, it didn't seem so corrupt and hindsight's 2020, of course, but in that era, uh, things, things you're just not thinking about the president every day and what's going on in Washington every day. And you've got the vice president, which how often do we think about the vice presidency today when there's a lot of attention with politics and, and so on, but you had, this guy, Calvin Coolidge, that was really uh, an unknown. And he is hanging out in Vermont. He's visiting his family. Uh, the place that he was staying didn't have electricity. It didn't have a telephone. 
And he finds out, he gets dressed, says a prayer, comes downstairs, and there's a bunch of reporters who assemble at the house where he's staying at. His father, who was actually a notary public, actually administered the oath of office in the parlor by the light of a kerosene lamp. Yeah, and so then uh, President Coolidge, now the president, obviously, just goes back to bed and next day goes to Washington, gets sworn in by the... By Justice Holding, um, and he's just like, well, I guess I'm the president now. <laughs> that was quick. That was that was interesting. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, really, Coolidge retains the the cabinet members and and so on. He's even more reserved than the Hardings. Um, the only position that he really changes is a speechwriter. Uh, just to make sure that his message matches his personality a little bit better. But uh, there is this understanding um, that if the president dies, you kind of serve out the rest of his term uh, with the policies and so on. So he really didn't shake things up too much. Right. And, and really a lot of his, a lot of his goal then as the vice president was just to continue that return to normalcy that we see started by Harding and, and continue that out through until the next election. So Ben, that's uh-huh. kind of what happened. It that's is. the reason Harding didn't run for reelection. And that's the reason we're not in 1924 yet. Yeah, but soon here soon. Hey, you know what else is coming up soon? Um, I heard there's a really cool podcast that's coming up. Yeah. If you're listening to this, um, when we put it out or even after it's still the same, uh, January 1st starts a new podcast from your best friends in the world, Ben and Jason, which happens to be the two of us. Hey, that's me and you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We (laughs) we're starting a daily (laughs) podcast about, well, not really about anything except for your fortune, which is, you know, kind of important. We're going to be giving you your fortune daily in under five minutes every day. Yeah. Yeah. And we promise that you will be inspired. It's more than just us reading lame words on a tiny piece of paper and maybe throwing out some lucky numbers and so on like that. But so there you have it. That's the fortune cookie podcast. And just a reminder that you can sign up for those daily emails by visiting the website cookiepodcast.com. We're really excited about this. And uh, like Jason said, we want to be inspirational, but we also want to have some fun. So join us. Yeah, we'll be back with you next time for the election in 1924. We'll see you then. See ya.